This is a Federal News Network podcast. The National Science Foundation mainly awards grants. It's got 50,000 of them out there right now. And to analyze them, its financial staff developed an artificial intelligence application called the Financial Obligation Root Cause Explorer, or FORCE. It won the Innovation Award from the Association of Government Accountants. For what it is and what it does, the NSF's Payments and Analytics Branch Chief, Jesse Simons. Mr. Simons, good to have you on. Great to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. An obligation root cause explorer sounds like something a dentist might use, but I guess it's something (laughs) financial people. Tell us about this. Oh, I haven't heard that one before, Tom, but obligation is really a financial management term that can be equivalent to a grant, a contract, um, a purchase order, or so on. So this would be an obligation of the government to, sorry to use the, the word in the definition itself, but an obligation of the government to pay a recipient a certain amount of funding. So within the Division of Financial Management in my branch, one of our responsibilities is monitoring grants payments. So we oversee all the grant and commercial payments for the NSF, as well as we have a financial oversight responsibility, which includes monitoring some of the financial progress against these awards, as well as a role in the financial closeout process. All right. So the implication then is that the standard financial systems used to manage money in the government don't give you the kinds of answers you're looking for with this explorer. Fair enough? I think, Tom, I would put it this way. So we have a fairly mature oversight program at NSF, and we do a good job of getting our hands around the what. So how many grants do we have that are open? What's the volume of unspent balances? But it's harder to get a tangible sense of the why at scale. So if we have a grant that might be underspending or overspending relative to its peer group, this would require very individual research into progress reports submitted against the grants, maybe phone calls to some of the principal investigators or contacts at that institution or university, or other kind of time-consuming and painstaking research. So we wanted to really see how we could leverage technology to look at this in a more scalable way and get more concepts around the why of grants that might have some points of interest in some of our other reporting out of our financial systems. And just explain then for the layman how this works. When you issue a grant to, say, an institution to do some piece of research over three years or something, then they don't get all of that grant all at once. They draw on money as they need it. Is that how it works? So that you look at the degree to which they're drawing, and if something is out of band, there might be a reason. I think it depends. There's different types of grants. I mean, we have some that are obligated or awarded in incremental annual installments. We have some that are awarded all up front. But I think one of the inception points for Force was a dashboard that my team developed called the Burn Rate Explorer. So a burn rate is kind of a colloquialism on what's the rate of spending against a grant or a contract. So you can think of this as, you know, if you have a $300,000 grant over three years, are you spending a $100,000 a year, or is that more unevenly distributed? Now, that's not to say that every grant would spend in exactly a straight line, right? But this dashboard allows us to visually very quickly identify any grants that are spending differently from their peer group, and this might be a point of interest for us. In other words, it points the ways to where you should do some further investigation into what's going on with that particular grant. Yes, that's exactly right, Tom. And so that kind of brings the second component of force into focus, which is something called the Lingo 4G Explorer. So what Lingo 4G is, is it's an artificial intelligence platform that ingests 
hundreds of thousands of NSF documents. So these are things like proposals, annual progress reports, outcomes reports, and it uses what's called natural language processing to extract words and key phrases about that underlying research and associated activities. So what that means in layman's terms is we have these machine algorithms that are able to read these unstructured text, unstructured meaning it's not in kind of cells and columns and spreadsheets like most of us accountants and financial professionals are used to dealing with, but it's able to read that just like you and I would read that using our vocabulary, reading comprehension skills. And it's able to pull out meaningful words and phrases that we can use to get more insights about those grant activities. We're speaking with Jesse Simons. He's Payments and Analytics Branch Chief at the National Science Foundation. And did you come at this as a financial person who just couldn't quite get the answers you needed with standard systems? Or are you a techie that said to the finance people, golly, if you could do this, then you could do that? Um, That's an interesting question, Tom. I'd say it's a little bit of both. So I'm actually a little new to the federal government. I joined NSF in March of 2020, shortly before the pandemic. Um, Prior to that, I spent 12 years as a consultant working with federal agencies. And it was an interesting time to join the government, you know, on the the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, which kind of heightened our awareness around our financial oversight. So, I mean, my career has always really been focused on bridging the gap between finance and technology. And I think another big priority government-wide right now is around upskilling. Our deputy CFO, Mike Wecklow, is very involved in a government-wide initiative to build data literacy and technology literacy across specifically financial management professionals in the federal government. And I think this was a unique opportunity that Some of the key components were developed by federal staff on my team. And I think coming from the private sector, working on a lot of these types of projects, invariably you'd spend maybe 20 to 30% of the time learning about the requirements and what does the customer want? What's the business problem we're trying to solve? But now being able to learn some of these technologies and tools on our own, we already know the business and we already know the data. So it allows for this kind of seamless vertical integration where we know the problem we're trying to solve. We just need to learn the tools to get us there. So I think Forest was a really interesting use case for us to deploy that in practice. And how did you get it developed? Was it done by staff? Was it done by the U.S. Digital Service or did you have a contractor? It was a mix. So I I think the Burn Rate Explorer was developed by federal staff, by my team. The Lingo 4G Explorer was a tool that previously existed in NSF, but it was never really used in this way. Currently, it's used to kind of look at themes across scientific research. I mean, that's just one of many use cases to give an example. So let's say you wanted to see what NSF is doing around the field of quantum computing. You can type in quantum computing in an easy-to-use query box, and you can see these fantastic visualizations on everywhere quantum computing is being done across the agency. So we were working with a very talented data scientist within NSF, Paul Morris. And, you know, we had a conversation around, you know, we're seeing a lot of awards that we knew would be impacted by the pandemic, like education grants, which schools may have been impacted by enrollment counts being down, but some fields of science that we weren't really certain why they would be impacted. And then digging into um, one of those grants, we saw that there were a lot of international students on that specific grant. And then there were international visa restrictions for them to travel because of COVID-19. So it kind of set out this chain reaction on what if we can do what we did for this one award manually and scale that. So instead of looking at the award proposal data, why don't we try to look at some of the annual progress reports and outcome reports and look at some of the themes across the research that might be impacted by some of this over or underspending. 
So this really adds up to a program oversight, accountability, and almost quality management tool then for the grant process. I think so, Tom. I mean, I think it also helps us and it gives us a new sense of market intelligence around our customers, our grantees. So, I mean, you see different applications of AI in the private sector, you know, to figure out what advertisement they should show you on social media or something like that. In this case, we have 50,000 open grants at a given time. This tool allows us to analyze those in you know, less than a minute and instantly get some key insights that can kind of inform some of our business assistance and outreach to these individual grantees, which I think is really powerful with a limited number of federal resources on a, a large pool of grantees to cover. And of course, the federal government spends more on grants than it does on contracts in a given year, and almost every agency makes grants. Is this tool portable to other agencies? I think so. So I think that was one of our calls to action when we presented this at AGA, that there is a great deal of proprietary data within the tool itself. So it wouldn't be fit for maybe external use. But with the right knowledge sharing agreements, I mean, there's agencies with similar missions to NSF, certainly similar sets of grantees with academic institutions being a big part of our constituency. So I think with the right collaboration across other agencies, there could be a great deal of portability and transferability. Sounds like you might have a couple of software licensing issues buried in there also. So the first component, I think, could be built with a number of different tools. I mean, you could build it in Excel if you wanted to, if you had the data that you needed. I think it's more getting kind of the conceptual layout of what you want to do. You know, the artificial intelligence platform that we use, it does have some open source components, meaning freely available, freely editable. There are some proprietary components in there as well. But, you know, I think this could also be approached tool agnostically as well and, and maybe not married to any specific product. Jesse Simons is Payments and Analytics Branch Chief at the National Science Foundation. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. And during his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. 
Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and... Um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. 
what a wonderful way to to spend an assignment with uh, with backup and and guidance like that. What what great great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.